Hello and welcome to DF Direct, episode 70. We got past 69, it was super nice, and now we are back. The DF Skeleton Crew is here. Joining me this week, it's Tom. Hello. And Oliver. Hi. <laughs> nice guys. We did it. We did the intro. That is the first of many hurdles that we need to surpass on this, a week where John, Rich, and Alex are all having a nice time or very sick. And we'll we'll, we'll get uh, everyone in the audience to guess who's who is what. But actually, it's uh, <laughs> Alex is down with the COVID, unfortunately. And mm. John and Rich are enjoying some holiday. So it's down to us to cover the news. First of all, it's Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Is it too much for Xbox? Tom, what do you think? Yeah, this was um, kind of a priority on our, our uh, list this week because, uh, <laughs> you know, Oliver and I were like looking at it thinking, what is this headline? It's so strange. Like, um, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of because uh, when you say the word exclusive to PS5, it immediately conjures up this idea that uh, it's a platform exclusive, you know, in terms of Sony versus Microsoft. But what it's actually saying, the point of the interview in the article is that it's a PS5 um, developed game. It's not made for a PS4. And so Rebirth is being made specifically for that platform to take advantage of those features on PS5. And it's not to say what can or cannot be done with the uh, an Xbox Series X, for example. But um, as we know, it is uh, for now an exclusive to PS5. Uh, as far as I know, it's um, it's going to be on that platform for a, for a, the foreseeable. And uh, so, yeah, it was um, okay. So on the one hand, uh, a slightly odd headline in some cases, uh, but it is an interesting story because it just shows that the time for cross-gen development on the uh, is sort of subsiding and we have a game here which is finally uh, pushing forward and uh, taking advantage of one of the things that's cited in the interview is the SSD speeds uh, which is you know it's a it's a big deal and uh, it's it sounds like if you know Final Fantasy 7 and you know the general structure of it we're, we're getting a trilogy out of this thing the first game remake, FF7 remake, was intended to be the Midgar arc. And now we're moving to the outer world, or so we're going to assume at this point. And that might mean a different uh, priority for the way the visuals present. And I think having next-gen hardware uh, put to good use here is probably a good thing. Um, I don't know. What do you reckon, Oliver? Yeah, so I thought this was a funny story because the way some outlets were presenting it, I think I don't think in, intentionally, um, but they were basically saying, you know, here is the reason why FF7 is a PS5 exclusive. And I think people kind of mm. jumped out of their seats in that one. And of course, the console wars, uh, they start yeah. when, when people say things like that. You know, what can you say? But <laughs> I actually have a rough transcript. And basically, the question was like, Final Fantasy VII Remake was supposed to be PS5 from the beginning, unlike the earlier entry. And then he goes on to explain, yeah, it's the SSD is giving us a lot more flexibility. It's giving us this vast open world. And if you remember Final Fantasy VII Remake on PS4, and of course the Integrate uh, versions, which were based obviously on that on that version, um, I think, Tom, you covered it back in the day, and it has like that kind of classic 8th uh, Gen Corridor Syndrome 
where you're going from yes. area to area and going through enclosed spaces and you're kind of shimmying sideways and everything and, and it's a fixed perspective camera so everything behind you is getting unloaded and everything in front of you is loading in uh that's all mm, over classic yeah and there really aren't any open spaces i think that game has a very good pacing and all that stuff i'm not not complaining but um it is a pretty limited title uh not not even just in terms of the world construction but also in terms of the asset loading and quality of the assets and things like that so definitely given their tech uh it's it's a huge boon i'm sure to move over to ps5 for that for that title um and then there, there are a couple other technical details that I pulled out of the interview as well outside of the scope. Like uh, Nomura said that the character models for the principal cast are the same as they were in the remake, which sort of suggests to me, along with the trailer that we saw last month, that probably it's outside of a few things that we saw, like I think there was touch bending on the foliage that you can just see briefly. Um, I think this is probably more of an evolution from from what we can see of the tech that was in the uh, final fantasy 7 remake which isn't obviously a bad thing because that was a tremendous looking title but um that's sort of the direction they're going with it and of course it's out reasonably soon so yeah got a couple of thoughts on on um on this because uh is it a fair question to say ff7 uh rebirth couldn't have been achieved on ps4 i mean I'd say it's probable that you could push it, uh, but it's just how much compromise are you willing to take? We've seen games like The Witcher 3 do big, lush environments. You've got like GTAs and uh, Red Deads and, you know, enough proof to show that it can do, but you're also tethering your development to these limited Jaguar CPUs. And also more than that, you're splitting your uh, development focus between two platforms again, which is, you know, so it's, it's quite exciting to see this is uh, just a dedicated, focused project on one, and we might see a bit of like that proper next-gen potential coming out. Um, but also, uh, you know, when it came to what happened with the PS4 upgrade, the PS5 upgrade of the remake, uh, the original FF7 remake, it, you know, the, the upgrades were there. I mean, I, I did the video, but it was not revolutionary all the time. 60 FPS was awesome. It took a resolution hit to do that, but and 4K obviously uh, in the 30 FPS mode was incredible. But you know, it's uh, the fundamentally the game was um, still kind of intact. There were some lighting tweaks and that sort of thing, but nothing crazy. So this time we're going to hopefully see more. Yeah, I definitely think a game of this scope is definitely achievable on PS4 because we've seen it in countless titles. Like Tom said, uh, the question is more just like. I guess number one are is their tool set and their use of UE4 is that kind of up to the up to the task given the extremely high level of asset fidelity they were aiming for with FF7. Maybe they didn't achieve it in all cases, but like in the you know, if if they get environments up to the level that the character models were at, for instance, in FF7, that would be a pretty yeah. extraordinary thing. And certainly from what we've seen in the footage, unfortunately we only have like a low bitrate 1080p asset, uh, as far as I know of that uh, FF7 Rebirth trailer, but it does look very impressive. They are pulling off some really large environments, does look like very high quality assets everywhere. Definitely that's the kind of thing that you could not achieve on PS4. You could achieve a version of it on PS4, I think, um, but I, I don't yeah. think they could have achieved that on, on PlayStation 4. Yeah, I think it's really exciting that we're kind of now getting to the stage where next gen is really starting to take hold and developers are starting to think, you know, we could do this, we could technically do it, 
but it's just better that we get our vision like 100% as we want it on you know a platform that's well suited for it. Yeah, it says a lot that we're still referring to it as next gen because <laughs> it does True. feel it's still not quite not quite there. We're still sort of getting around to it. We're still turning the corner into it. Uh, yeah. It's been the most protracted uh, cross-gen period I've known. Uh, and there's been quite a few now. So, yeah. So, up next, uh, Red Dead 2. We learned this week that the current-gen ports, which were apparently planned, have been uh, dropped. And development on Red Dead Online has been uh, dropped to a pretty minimal level, it looks like. Um, there might be new events and new things, but they're not really developing anything um, novel in terms of uh, you know game modes or uh, features, assets, that kind of thing. And I mean, for me, this is kind of you know understandable. We've seen this uh, for a long time that there haven't really been any substantive updates to Red Dead Online. Um, my brother is a really big fan of this game, and basically every time he's over here, he's like, "Oh, can I check Red Dead Online? Is there anything <laughs> happening?" And every time it's like, oh, there's like 50% off on corsets. Sorry, that's, that's it. That's your lot. So, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense. It's good for players like him to say, okay, actually, you know, there isn't going to be anything. So we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to wonder about it. We know everything is now going on to GTA 6, which makes sense. Um, Oliver, are you surprised that they didn't uh, make PS5 and Series X versions of uh, Red Dead 2? I am a little bit surprised. I sort of... I guess they didn't announce it. I sort of presume there was some project in the works, especially considering their very good work, I thought, um, on the current-gen versions of GTA V, and that's obviously an older project uh, built on an older Rage engine. Um, but yeah, it's a little weird because Red Dead Redemption 2 uh, sold extremely well, and I guess Red Dead Online didn't light the world on fire, which is why they're presumably canceling active development on big new content. But Red Dead Redemption 2, it's a recent title. It's PS4 Pro enhanced, well, you know, sort of <laughs> with that broken 4K checkerboard. And uh, it's, it has a beautiful Xbox One X version. And it just feels like, you know, deliver something like the One X version at 60 FPS. That'd be a very good looking game. I don't think it would have to be a gigantic effort. I, I certainly hope that uh, none of the negative reception of uh, the Grand Theft Auto trilogy has has affected any of these projects or the uh, also rumored GTA 4 and Red Dead Redemption 1 remakes slash remasters, because um, I imagine these would be very different projects. But yeah, it's, it's a little weird because you'd expect these would be the kinds of titles that would really translate very well. I mean, it, it, it seems like a sort of game you just need to scale up to a higher frame rate target, higher resolution target potentially, and get it out the door. I, I don't even think it really needs ray tracing. I mean, they already have the you know beautiful variable Penumbra shadows and I mean Redemption Two is still one of the best looking games on on consoles for sure so I don't think they need to do that much work. I definitely agree. It it feels like from a money standpoint, there's a lot to be earned from just even putting out like a new box copy uh, with a couple of optimizations, just some a few tweaks. Or maybe that's speaking to the fact it could be just done in an update and maybe there's a bit of a semantic element to this in that they may not release it as a box edition but there may be a like a ps5 upgrade or a series x upgrade or smart delivery might cover it in the future because i i remember the uh, overwhelming uh reaction to and this was ours as well to the gta 5 uh, ps5 series x uh re-releases was 
um, you're paying for those, but the actual content was not enough to match the price. It, it was not. It was. A, it was wasn't really a fair deal. So it's possible that's a factor, and that they want to get it right this time and just say, hey, this is here's a PS5 update. It's free, or it's a nominal fee to to make this happen, and you can get like. I don't know if we can get 60 FPS out of this game. It's quite a, you know, even though it's a last-gen release, it's still one heck of a, a technical uh, milestone. And it's, but we can get some flourishes out of the game for sure. Uh, that might be worth uh, them pursuing. But yeah, it's kind of all I've got to say on that one. It's uh, it's odd, is all I'll say. It's just strange that there's there's nothing forthcoming. Because like you, Oliver, I really did assume we were getting it. I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of us kind of expected that we would even continue to see GTA 5 releases for future consoles. Yeah. You know? Like, if there was a Switch 2, like, where's GTA 5? I want to play GTA 5 on my new whatever. So, yeah, maybe this is a break from that strategy. Or, you know, maybe GTA 6 is just such an all-encompassing game that they really just need everyone that they have on it. Also this week, Skate 4, or previously known as Skate 4, and actually just Skate was uh, announced that it was going to be free to play. And there was also an interesting message about uh, the 2021 build that was leaked. Uh, do you want to handle that, Tom? Yeah, I mean, it's a, a straightforward one, this. Uh, a leak went out. Um, uh, it's an early build. EA has a statement out, a very honest, straightforward one, saying, don't download it. It's not going to be you know, up to the power of you know, what we're actually going to release. And, uh, you know, steer clear of that. And <laughs> I I kind of have to agree. Um, it, it's it's always like, uh, you know, being told not to uh, grab the cookie jar that's on the top shelf uh, when you hear about something that you, you know, <laughs> you're not supposed to have. But in this case, I can definitely see, like, it's it's worth waiting. And especially, you know, given it's a, it's a, it sounds like a huge project, a lot of work's going into it. It probably... You know, and playing an early build, as is often the case with, you know, we play a lot of early stuff in, in this line of work. Uh, and I've, you know, I've been in QA um, working at a, a company uh, before this uh, Digital Foundry. It's a, it, it's n not always flattering to see a game before it's ready, and you want your first impression to be the best it can be. So, yeah, I would say, I'd definitely say to wait on this one. But it's interesting that it's, uh, you know, it's coming along quite fast, free to play too. You know, I, I'm not always keen on free to play, but it, I guess for skate, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, the sort of game it is, you, you know, you can roam this big world and upgrade uh, parts of it uh, by spending, I, I don't know, money on it. But I think it makes sense because, you know, in skate, there's a very obvious path to just having cosmetic uh, changes that cost real money and that can support the game for everyone that wants to play it, right? Yeah. So, you know. It's not going to be something like um, Diablo Immortal, where you know you need to pay money to get. Hopefully, this isn't the case that you can pay money to get better stats or better equipment or better whatever. Yeah, it's just about how your character looks. I think I think that's fair enough. Cosmetics. Some people will want to have you know skate brands or whatever else that they represent or like in real life in their you know to be represented on their character, and that that seems pretty good. But I mean, I think the 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 problem is that you know a lot of the time free to play is associated with. Um, you know, a product that isn't as high quality, isn't as polished as, you know, you would expect from a $60 or £60 release. That's so it, yeah. Hopefully, it'll be good. I guess uh, to go to the, the question of leaked builds, uh, the point of leaked builds, do you remember any leaked games that um, 
were kind of famous for uh, their leaked uh, appearances. I, I, the only one I can uh, think of, the most famous one, is the Half-Life 2 leak way back. And it was nothing like right. the final game. And it ended up uh, actually um, encouraging Valve to rebuild the whole thing and make it like way better. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the one that sticks out for me, and this is a bit more recent, is the GoldenEye 007 uh, Xbox Live Arcade or 360 build that got leaked. I think it was mm. two years ago, I want to say. And I remember John uh, played quite a bit of that on the channel, and it looked very good, very complete. Couple it did couple issues, presumably caught up in rights stuff, but uh, looked very very good. And that was just, uh, yeah, fully, almost ready build, as far as I'm aware. It's bizarre, isn't it? That uh, sometimes it can it can go either way. Sometimes the game is absolutely ready to ship, and uh, it's just sat on in some archive in a developer's HQ. Moving swiftly on, it's Bayonetta time. So there was an extended trailer um, released this week and a release date, which is this year, surprisingly. So what do you guys think about Bayonetta three? Uh, I thought the trailer looked really cool. It's very much a progression from what we saw in prior Bayonetta titles. I mean, there's some really cool gameplay sequences in there. Like we see Bayonetta riding a giant crab, even a giant enemy crab, if you will. Yeah. There's a there's a train <laughs> with guns, uh, rail shooter sequences. It seems like there's a bit of a more sci-fi tinge to it. Like some of the art reminded me a bit of Vanquish, Platinum Games' 2010 kind of action shooter game. It looked very reminiscent of that. Um, Tech-wise, to me, it looked very similar to Bayonetta 2. There's some aliasing. I think maybe they're using a post-process AA. Um, it looks very much... It has a bit of a 7th gen look to it. Not that that's a bad thing. But on the plus side, performance did seem very good to my eyes i mean obviously i didn't frame rate count it or anything but uh it did look pretty smooth it did look like a reasonably consistent 60 fps at least in what they've shown so far so those are those are big plus points for sure mm, it's uh i definitely agree it's the uh, the aesthetic of the seventh gen it's very sort of um uh, yeah, I mean, maybe that's uh, to its credit like it's to its benefit that you have a consistency of style and uh, I don't think I was expecting that much more from Switch. If we're targeting 60 FPS from this game, it's got to, you know, draw the line in the sand on visual quality and have like, all right, uh, you know, 720p, 900p, or uh, DRS even to make sure it can hit that. I haven't uh, pixel counted this one either, um, but it's uh, yeah, 60 FPS is the at the core of what makes this series work and. So uh, whatever it takes, basically, to, to make that happen is, uh, is good in my book. I guess this has been delayed so long. It's been five years since it was announced, I believe. And so there's a kind of internal uh, buildup of hype in everyone's minds, especially I know several people who have been so excited for this game. And so to finally see it, it's like, well, there it is. Uh, there's Bayonetta. Uh, I don't know what I expected, but that is exactly, you know, kind of uh puff of course with what switch will deliver on that uh, i don't think we can uh expect much more from it so when i saw the trailer i was kind of reminded of uh john's uh 1080p dream uh sequence for the uh, uh playstation 3 where he's kind of looking at each of those games that were coming out and scoring them out of uh, 1080p of course and you know i think a lot of the time to hit that they needed to really keep their um you know, development goals very straightforward. Uh, 
and not try and hit like a moving target in terms of, oh, we need all these features, but also we need um, 60 FPS and also we need it to be high resolution. Like a lot of the most successful games um, so far, you know, that have been revealed in John series is ones that had a very clear goal in mind of saying, all right, 60 FPS is what we want. And if we want 1080p, we're just going to have very stripped back visual features to make sure that, you know, we actually attain that. And I think, you know, in Bayonetta, it is kind of like an action game, right? Like, it does matter a lot to have consistency and in, in frame rate and, you know, and having that 60 FPS rather than 30 will make a huge difference. So I think given that constraint, I think what we've seen looks like they're right on target, which is super exciting. And I was also very chuffed to see that there was kind of a you can play this in public mode um, <laughs> being added to this game. Yeah. Because the one thing that kind of put me off before about Bayonetta was that it looks amazing. It looks super fun. And everyone that's played it always tells me, oh, yeah, you should really check it out. It's really good. But there are just bits in it where I feel like if I was playing this on my TV at home and somebody walked in, they would say, what the heck are you playing? And I don't know if I can deal with those kind of questions. What do you think, John? Uh, I, I, well, I agree. I played the original uh, Bayonetta and a little bit of two, uh, but even playing the original was like, whoa! Actually, I'm not comfortable. Like, uh, if someone was to walk in right now, uh, this looks a bit odd. But the the problem the problem was the game was just too good not to play. So it's just and it's just so, you know, that was the era of uh, platinum games as Vanquish, uh, as Oliver mentioned, and uh, you know, and Bayonetta coming out, and you had to play those two. Those were just instant classics um and it was a lot of fun as well it's very silly uh but yeah in the wrong eyes this is a a strange uh, strange game to be playing um on the big tv so switch is a good fit for it i think yeah yeah well you have that you have the uh no nudity mode or the censored mode or are they they're calling that the naive angel mode if i'm remembering correctly <laughs> um but yeah oh, actually following up on a couple threads so if you remember Bayonetta 1 ran horrifically on PS3, 360 yes. it was sketchy, Bayo 2 on Wii U and Bayo 1 on Wii U were better, but uh, still sketchy. It really took, like, the Switch versions were pretty good of Bayo 1 and Bayo 2, not perfect, but in, in uh, mm. docked mode where there was 720p, mostly mostly 60 FPS there. So this, this looks more in that lineage than the earlier titles. And then my only other thought, uh, given that release dates are on the mind, and this, this is coming out on October 28th, I believe, uh, is that kind of early on in the year, or a couple couple months ago, it became pretty clear that the release schedule for this winter was looking pretty barren. And I know that mm. we were a little bit uh, concerned slightly about that and concerned that maybe the software was getting all pushed to 2023. But now it seems a little bit more evident that some of that software that we were a little bit uh, nervous about not materializing it has now just been announced. Like people were maybe trying to find gaps in the schedule. Obviously, we had the God of War release date announcement last week, and now we have the Bayonetta 2 release, release date announcement. And then also, I don't know, a couple of days ago, there was the Dio Felt Chronicle, which is the Square Enix uh, tactic-style turn-based game, which looks pretty cool. That's out on the 22nd of September. We have The Last of Us Part 1 on the 2nd of September. Like lots of releases kind of coming pretty fast and quick in September, October, November. So I think it's shaping up to be a better year for games than I certainly thought a couple months ago, for sure. Yeah, that the, the way it started was incredible uh, with you know Elden Ring, Oli Oli World, uh, just so many games, just like Gran Turismo uh, 7. It was like, what what's going on with 2022? But then it just dropped off a cliff and 
I think what can happen is they'll see as uh, many publishers will see what we're seeing a barren stretch besides FIFA and Call of Duty as the big uh, tentpole releases, Modern Warfare 2. And uh, so we'll rearrange their schedule accordingly if there are games ready to ship. Uh, and uh, so we, we are getting some of those games um, kind of dotted around and they're not, you know, it's a, it's good to see from our angle. Like uh, one of the ones recently was, of course, uh, Forspoken uh, quite recently got pushed to 2023 and that's a bit of a shame to see. But uh, we do have another Square Enix title in Diefield Chronicles at least, so... Yeah, it's uh, it's it's shaping up to be a, a really good year. So I'm I'm, I'm excited. Uh, another thing that's been on the docket is an Arc report for Switch. So this was kind of famous on uh, the DF channel for being maybe one of the uh, worst examples of of a port. Unfortunately, very inconsistent performance and. Oh, yeah, it was just not a, a great experience for anyone. For, not for us uh, reviewing it and, and, and not for people playing it, unfortunately. But now it looks like someone, Grove Street Games, it says here, are reporting it. And it looks a lot more promising, which is great. What do you think, Tom? Uh, hard to 100% tell from off-screen footage of a portable screen. I will say that much up front. And obviously, early build as well. Uh, you know, you can only jump to so many conclusions. But the... Outlook is quite positive, I'd say, even judging from this. The way it presents, uh, it looks cleaner than I remember the, uh, the original Arc release being. And, you know, there they were using really sub 480p, uh, very uh, like heavy temporal anti aliasing, or uh, just to sort of mesh together the like the frames and just the results. It defeated the purpose of the port to have it so present so uh, in such a blurry fashion that you couldn't see so much so far into the distance. The shadow maps were curtailed. The uh, yeah, the, it just looked. Um, it didn't look like a game you really wanted to play. And the principle of uh, a switch port, impossible ports to switch, is that okay? You've got it running. Sure, that's great, but um, it has to be enjoyable as well. And we've seen several compromises, ways ways to get that uh, balance right. You know, Witcher 3, it's a, a touch soft, but it still maintains a lot of the adventure and there's ways to port your save over to PC. So there's a real reason to exist a, uh, for that. And um, then there's the other end of the spectrum with Sniper Elite 4 and uh, Zombie Army 4, which I covered recently. And the, the developers there, Rebellion North, were saying, we want to hit 1080p as often as we can because that's... That's important to us. And so there's a real difference in ethos between the likes of those developers and what was going on with Arc, which was basically get it running and, uh, you know, it's almost the rest is a secondary issue. So now we've got a game which actually looks really, really good. It's, it's well, it's certainly a big jump up. There's a, a lot of detail being rendered to the far distance, uh, you know, it looks like there's less pop-in than I recall, and it's, uh, yeah, a lot more uh, of a refined product, even in what appears to be a very early build. So quite excited for this one. Should be interesting to revisit. Yeah, no, I mean, the original Ark Survival Evolved, it was such a cutback switch conversion. And I think the thing that st stood out to me at the time watching the coverage was just how low resolution it went, especially in portable mode. 
Like, I mean, I just checked John's coverage, and I think he earmarked the lowest resolution he saw in portable mode was 304 by 170, which is oh, unbelievably wow. low. Christ. And, wow. Yeah, I mean, it was just a blurry, smeary mess, like uh, N64-level image quality for sure. If not, if not, uh, if not worse, God, it was it was horrible. And um, this looks a lot better. I mean, it does look a little soft. Again, it's off-screen footage, like Tom mentioned, so it's hard to tell. But just going through it, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this is uh, in SD <laughs> class territory in terms of the image, which is, uh, or, or maybe even above. Who knows? But the incidental details there, the drawing. I mean, the drawing would be quite. Uh, not great if it was a console title, home console title, but on the portable mode here, it looks uh, looks like drawn's quite good. There's lots of incidental detail, lots of foliage. Frame rate is uh, very reasonable. Overall, it does look like a much more solid conversion, and it's also interesting that it's coming from Grove Street Games, who perhaps fairly or unfairly maybe don't have the best <laughs> reputation at this point. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, it does look like a very sold Switch conversion, which is uh, definitely interesting. I, I, I'm going to be curious to see how it pans out. Yeah. Yeah. I think the important thing to remember as well is that, you know, although uh, GTA Definitive Edition didn't launch in the best state, it has actually gotten a lot better, you know, since then. And obviously, you know, maybe it was just a question of they needed to get it out the door of it at a certain time and probably were well aware of its shortcomings. Mm. So hopefully if they have a bit more time on this and they don't have as, you know, uh, tight of a release schedule, then they can do a really good job. And it looks like already it's quite promising. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to take another look at that one and see how it shapes up. So the next uh, news item is, is a little uh, interesting. It's... The Matrix Awakens demo, which we absolutely loved when it came out, was uh, released on you know PS5, Series X, I think Series S as well, and it just kind of showed for the you know one of the first times what kind of the next gen could really look like. But unfortunately, if you haven't already downloaded it on uh, PlayStation or Xbox, it is now delisted and you can now no longer get it. However, it still exists on PC where you can still freely download it. So. Uh, it's a, it's a bit of an interesting situation, right? Because, you know, this wasn't released that long ago, but already it's been delisted, and we can only kind of guess as to re to the reasons for this. Uh, Oliver, what do you think? Yeah, so just a quick, quick point of clarification. You can download part of the demo on PC. You can download the city sample section on PC. So not that initial... Ah. Not that initial playthrough, sort of like the really cool cinematic stuff with the chase... Mm. Um, mm. that uses all of the Matrix IP and assets. <laughs> you cannot download right. that on PC, but you can download and compile yourself the, the city sample if you if you have the skills. Uh, you know, you can do that. Right. Um, but yeah, it feels really weird to me because presumably Epic, I mean, that demo is so extremely impressive. I was just playing it a couple hours ago. Um, it's it's incredibly impressive. It's just it's just such a technical barnstormer. It's definitely the best looking thing you can play on consoles right now. If not, you know, one of the best looking <laughs> examples of real time rendering, uh, bar none. Um, and it's a little weird because presumably they they knew they were going to be working with this IP, and they understood that there was a time exclusivity component to being able to work with uh, those assets, that IP, those actors. They were not going to be able to hold on to that. 
uh, that license for whatever reason for very long. And it's sort of interesting too, because you'd expect that maybe Warner Brothers, there'd be, I think it's a good promotional product. I don't know why it needs to be pulled necessarily, why that serves anyone's interests, but it's, yeah, it's a little weird. If I was in Epic's position, maybe you work with a different film franchise in that position. Because, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, the, it's it's totally bizarre and, and very weird that now you have to tell people, oh, yeah, you know, oh, if you have a current-gen console, like if, if your friend buys a PlayStation 5 or a Series X or Series S, you know, I'd always say the first thing you got to do is you got to download the Unreal UE5 Matrix demo. And now what am I going to say? I'm going to say, well, you know, there is a great piece of software. It was free and it was great, but you can't have it anymore. <laughs> it's just weird. Yeah. Now you have to say, let me download that for you. Let me just sign yeah. in real quick. But you can still download yeah. it. You can still re-download it. It's not like PT. It's not fully removed. Yeah. It's just delisted. Like if okay. you search in the store, it's not there. Even if you own it, or even if you own it, even if you already downloaded it, you have to go into your purchase section and, and um, re-download it from there. It's not on the store. So it's delisted, right. but not removed, if there is a difference, if you understand that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So we're yeah. not going to get into a situation where people are, people are selling their consoles on eBay and saying, it's got the Matrix Awakens demo. It's really worth it. You better buy yeah. this one. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bit odd, though, isn't it? it? The amount of work that must have gone into that uh, for, I mean, how mm. long has it been since um, there was a, a Matrix Resurrections um, maybe three, three months ago? Um, how long it's not a long stretch to kind of um like squeeze the worth out of that demo uh and i'm guessing it's a deal between unreal and warner brothers over that ip uh that just had a a finite uh like cooldown and very uh, much the highlight of my you know ps5 owning uh like a, a year pretty much i haven't had much that's impressed me on that level and uh it was awesome just to have this little you know little taste a little bite of something that really showed me where we were going and we like at df we definitely made the most of it like we really wanted to you know cover that game and uh, well cover the demo and see see it as where things could lead um yeah to me it was always like this uh the sign of what you know what you know if they made a, a spider-man game for next gen this is how it would look this is a, a new Batman game. This is how it would look in a big city. So, A big shame, but at least mm. if you have already uh, kind of taken it from the store, you can uh, re-download it so it's not a calamity. So the final bit of news this week is that RTX 30 series graphics cards, or at least some of them, are getting a price drop. So obviously we know that the next generation of uh, NVIDIA graphics cards and quite possibly AMD graphics cards are, are coming pretty soon. And so the RTX 3080, the 12 gigabyte model, and the models above it in the stack, so the 3080 Ti, and the 3090, and the 3090 Ti, are, have all gotten price drops. It seems to be in the US and the UK, presumably globally. I got a tip off from uh, an Asus PR manager who said, you know, our cards are, are going down in price. But it does look to be something that's affecting uh, multiple uh, GPU manufacturers. And I think this is, uh, you know, a fairly obvious, um, you know, decision to make sure that the top end cards remain attractive for people in the run up to the to the new uh, generation, because you know I think there's uh, an argument to say that if you are already, um, you know, if you have the money to get a high end card, you're probably better off waiting for the next generation because you know it's likely that those cards will offer a lot more performance, uh, maybe you know 
also a lot more power draw, but we'll see. And I think this ties into uh, a question we received from our reader, Vassal uh, Baran, who said, should you go for a current-gen GPU while the price is somewhat acceptable, or wait for a possibly delayed next-gen GPU sometime in Q4 or Q1? Uh, we don't know the dates yet, but I think you know if you are considering a GPU purchase at the moment, I think it only really makes sense if you're considering a lower-tier card, so something like a 3050 Ti, a 3060, um, because those lower-end cards do take uh, longer to come out in the release schedule. Typically, you see kind of the flagship and then the mid-range cards first, and then it's you know months later that you t tend to get the more affordable options. So if if you're considering a low-end option, just get it now because you know the the prices are already pretty reasonable. And even with these price cuts, I'd say it's still a little bit more shaky as to whether you should get a high-end option right now. Um, one interesting thing is that the RTX 3080 12 gig, which is very slightly faster than the 10 gigabyte model, is now cheaper than the 10 gigabyte model because of this uh, price drop only affected you know, this model and above. Ah. So there's an argument to be made to get the 12 gig model. I think the 3080 remains a very strong card. But yeah, with uh, next gen coming, it's uh, it's a difficult question for sure. So, so I think there are two kind of things I'd, I'd bounce off on this. Um, the first thing is, is that price scaling on the kind of towards the low end to mid range, I think Will would probably agree has not been very good over the generations in terms of hitting your kind of price performance marks. Like, I mean, I remember back in 2013, um, I think it, at one point it was pretty easy to get like a 7850 for like 110, 120 bucks. And I think that doesn't compare that unfavorably to the price performance in that segment today. Like in these lower end segments, uh, the price performance is not really taken off in the same way that it has in the higher end segments, perhaps because of higher fixed costs or whatever the reason is. Um, so I suspect that, yeah, towards the lower end of the line, you really are not going to see big improvements in price performance, especially initially when the line is in high demand. Now, if you're going for a, the highest end card you can anyways, if you're going for the X80, X, 90 x80 ti whatever the branding ends up being maybe they'll bring back the titan branding who knows if you're going for that high end i would say wait but yeah if you're going towards the mid-range low end i'd say maybe you know may, maybe pick up one of them uh well that well there's good availability potentially and well prices are reasonable and the second thing is you know around the 4000 series it is going to be a hotter larger gpu because of the pretty uh, predominantly, I think, because of the properties of these new processes, which, um, you know, they're, they're much more miniaturized than the older processes, seven nanometers, five nanometer processes at TSMC. They have different characteristics. So in order to reach the maximum potential of the chip or close to the maximum potential, like 80%, 85% of the maximum potential of the chip for like, let's say a 600 millimeter squared chip. Now that just happens to mean that you need to bump up the voltage more than you did before there's more leakage in the chip and so you get to like 450 500 watts instead of 300 or 350 watts that's basically the the math there um but yeah if you if you have the uh space if you have the power budget um it does seem like those new gpus will be pretty impressive if any of the leaks are in any way true on the high end for sure you'll I think it would definitely be well advised to to wait for those new GPUs if you can cram them into your into your into your uh, system to integrate them. I think that they're uh, they're definitely a good good pick unless you're you know towards that lower end more price sensitive end of the market where 
yeah, I, I think these are a good deal at the moment for that for that segment. All right, let's move on to the Q and A. So our first question comes from Mr. Ratchet, and it is the console showdown round two. Uh, so which of the following was your favorite, the PS1, N64, or Saturn? And has your opinion changed since then, and why? So Tom, do you want to come in on this one? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, the answer is very. Uh, it's it's PlayStation One. It's got to be the uh, console that had the biggest impact on me growing up. Um, Mega Drive was my first, and then uh, it was just like, well, after that point, I knew a couple of people with a Saturn. In fact, one person with a Saturn, and uh, maybe a handful with N64s, but. You know, all the energy, all the buzz, all the excitement was around Sony. The PlayStation 1's launch, Wipeout, Tekken, uh, Parappa the Rapper. And it just, uh, yeah, even like minor titles at the time, Destruction Derby. It just sort of, it was overwhelming how huge that console was. So um, it's only on hindsight when yeah, I guess you get to... Uh, you know, go back and buy these consoles, the ones that you missed, the Saturn, which I've got one over there on the uh, Kallax there. Um, you appreciate on hindsight and you kind of vicariously uh, look at these games through the eyes of people who enjoyed them growing up um, to try and understand why they were so great. So my answer would be PlayStation 1 without a doubt. Uh, Final Fantasy 7, Metal Gear Solid, Resident Evil 1 and 2, you know, there's... There was just too much going on there. Um, but um, you've got to give those other consoles their dues. Like the Saturn was incredible for 2D fighters. Street Fighter Alpha 3 is one of my favorite all-time Street Fighter games and fighting games in general. And uh, that is um, it's a really good rendition on the Saturn. And the control with the six-button layout, it's perfect for that. Um, the N64, you've got to give it its dues as well. It, probably the most magical moment of my life playing games was seeing an N64 being played in a uh, game store uh, growing up. I was about uh, 14, 13 years old. I saw Mario 64 being run on this uh, kiosk and it was just like voodoo, witchcraft, how are they making Mario run around uh, you know, this castle in full 3D after I'd just come back from my Mega Drive where I was just running on, on a 2D plane. It it just it it was just mind boggling, so all three have huge merits, and and Saturn definitely fell by the wayside, I think, in in uh, America and Europe. But uh, the answer would be PS One for me, just because Final Fantasy Seven left a huge mark on um, my uh, my impression of what games could be going forward in terms of production and cinematic quality, and uh, the ability to you know tell a story and uh, build huge worlds. And I think that's uh, that's the direction that the industry kind of went eventually uh, in very different ways. But um, yeah, definitely PS1 is my final answer. <laughs> well, I, I'm kind of <laughs> aged out of this question a little bit because uh, you know, I was I was extremely young when, when these consoles came, came out. Uh, actually, but, but to be fair, the, the N64 was my first system. Um, I think I got it in 2000 or 2001 when I would have been five or six. So hmm. that's my oh, only nice. real point of reference. I, I own a PS1 and N64. Now I don't have a Saturn. 
but I'd have to say, I mean, N64, just because, I mean, my earliest memories were playing Super Mario 64. I had a copy of Perfect Dark that wouldn't run because I didn't have the expansion pack. <laughs> uh, oh, no. I had Destruction, <laughs> Destruction Derby as well. I had um, Ocarina of Time. I had, a, I had a number of games. I also, I also had the Star Wars... Um, was it the Phantom Menace N64 game or I, I that was the pod racing maybe the pod racing one I had I had a Star Wars N64 mm. game so that was <laughs> yeah that was definitely a special system but it was very quickly in you know for, for me really the formative consoles were <laughs> sixth and seventh gen in nature which does date me a bit but uh yeah it was not really the N64 um but it was my first system so that, that would definitely have the hold the spot for me. So for me, um, I actually didn't own any of these consoles. I was about the right age, but I only really had a PC, so I was playing kind of Wing Commander and stuff <laughs> at this time. But I did have a friend who had a PS1, and some of my you know happiest childhood memories were going to this friend's house and playing like Tekken and Twisted Metal and stuff like that. And those games still pretty much hold up. Like the graphics are obviously very rough, as you know examples of you know relatively early 3d games but you know they're still so fun to play and yeah if you haven't uh you know played through the T twisted metal series um you know especially one and two but the other ones are still pretty good and i would highly encourage you to go back and uh try and find a copy i think there's even twisted metal 2 was a got a pc release back in the day as well so you should you should play it those are those are some fun games mm. um i think thinking back on them now though I think the N64 is probably kind of the most revolutionary console in some sense. Like, I feel I didn't really appreciate it at the time. But, you know, Mario 64 and, you know, kind of the, the many games that kind of followed in its footsteps are probably, you know, potentially some of the most influential ones. So I think, yeah, I would come down on, on that side of things. I feel like the Saturn is just like a, a mystery to me. Mm. I've never seen one in person, I don't think. I'd, I've never spent time with anyone that's um, you know, like played it. So I need to know. I need to fill in this missing gap in my knowledge. It was too expensive. And then maybe that was the yeah. that was really the 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 killer. It was it was what four hundred pounds at launch, which back then oh wow was a, was ridiculous. But yeah, you had to be very into Sega to and met the Mega Drive to really go for that. Mm. Yeah, right, I, right. I think Makes from sense. a technical perspective, the N sixty four was definitely. In my view, that was that that was the system to look back on and really remark on it as as a pioneer in 3D graphics because it was developed by Silicon Graphics and it was based off of a, a cut down version of a workstation. Um, I think they had they had been working on or or a work similar technology to the workstations they were working on at least. But if you look back, you've got uh, filtered textures, you've got perspective correction. You've got anti-aliasing, like system-level anti-aliasing force and everything, and then on the controller, you've got the you got the analog stick. Um, I think that's a definitely from a technical perspective. I think it has a a longer tail, a more important legacy than the uh, Saturn, which was kind of bizarre. The PlayStation, which was a more basic system, although the N64's compromises in terms of memory and in terms of storage were much greater. But its uh, triumphs were, and its forward-looking <laughs> aspects were also quite great. So, it was it was a pretty fantastic era to grow up in. I think we can we can we can all agree. Our next question is from 
Jesus Gonzalez, who asked, now that the most uncommon of the DF directors are here gathered, are there any new special projects or interests each of you have in your mind, want to, or are already developing for the channel? Oliver, do you want to chime in? Do you have anything that you'd love to cover that we haven't let you because you know you <laughs> haven't been let out of the dungeon? Yeah, yeah. Well, what I get let out of the, out of the dungeon? Uh, I don't know. I mean, there are some releases later this year that I'm looking forward to. I'm sure there are a lot of the same releases that everyone else is looking forward to. Outside of that, I have some ideas that I'll keep in my... Uh, keeping my quiver for now that are maybe percolating or fermenting or rotting as you see fit uh, <laughs> in, a, in a document uh, th th that I keep up to date. But yep. yeah, definitely some, some ideas, but wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to spoil anything before it's ready. Uh, yeah. It's almost to imply that uh, we're going to go rogue and do some wild stuff while everyone's away. But in truth, we're actually just <laughs> going to carry on and doing things that make the most sense to cover. Uh, which is, mm. um, it is a quiet week, I will admit. And uh, although putting together this docket for this direct, it turned out to be quite a, a busy one. There's a lot going on. Um, but mm. uh, yeah, we, we, we've joked this week, we'd maybe cover the My Friend Peppa Pig for PS5 and Series X. <laughs> Just because yep. there's two modes on there. There's a performance mode and a quality mode. And you know, for all the kids wanting to get their best from uh, PS5, they might want to know what's on there. So... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think the answer to this question, though, is that, you know, if we have interests or projects that we want to do, I think we're generally pretty free to pursue them. You know, obviously, we want to make sure that the most major releases are covered. And so occasionally, that means people will, you know, cover a game that they don't personally have a huge amount of interest in. But there's always, you know, a technical uh, uh, interest there. You know, it's always interesting to see what different games are coming out, what techniques they're using, how they're making their decisions between, you know, performance and fidelity and things like that. Mm. But, you know, by and large, we are able to go and say, actually, I'm really interested in this game, so let's cover it. Um, so the only thing that really kind of jumped out at me when considering this question was I think we should be doing more kind of live uh, audience interaction kind of things. I think it would be really fun for us to do more like YouTube live streams, for example, where we're just playing multiplayer games with our, you know, with the fans, uh, with the people that are watching DF. So I think that would be really fun. I think that's something we could potentially explore and I'll kind of have some thoughts about that. But otherwise, yeah, I think we're, we're really lucky to be honest that we have the ability because we're our own editors generally uh, to, to go and, and find out the stuff we're interested in and, and bring it to the channel. So the next question comes from Senkal, and they ask, how do you share your work between DF and Eurogamer? I know that not everyone does this, but is it like mostly DF and only a few articles of Eurogamer? Or is it more like some time split, let's say 70%, 30%? Or is DF just subcontracted to do work there? So this is a question we get kind of asked variations of a lot. And basically, um, we are both part of the same parent company. And we have an agreement that Digital Foundry's written work uh, appears on Eurogamer. But we don't really have, you know, we are employed, most of us, I think, by Eurogamer itself. And, you know, our articles will go up there, but we don't have to work on Eurogamer as part of our jobs. Uh, generally, uh, you know, part of my role as being a deputy editor is that I'm taking a lot of people's scripts and their assets and just translating them from the video work into a written article. 
Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, it makes sense for our talented video team to be making videos rather than writing up articles for the website. So that kind of falls down to me. And I think that works out pretty well. Um, how do you guys think about it? Uh, Tom, what do you think? Uh, it, it has changed over the over the years, definitely. I mean, mm. my, star, my uh, title on Eurogame is still Senior Staff Writer. But, uh, mm. you know, ultimately, I, I'm a uh, you know, video, video editor, and that is my focus in, in reality. I make the video, uh, write and edit the videos for the YouTube side. And then, obviously, I um, have a script or notes that I hand now to, say, uh, yourself, Will, or Rich, and that is then turned into uh, an article that can be read on Eurogamer to kind of prop up the YouTube video. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a mix and match, and I think there's a good symbio symbiotic uh, relationship with the two. That means that the, the you know... YouTube crowd can feed into what's going on on Eurogamer because, you know, to watch the video on especially PC benchmark stuff, you're very well off going to the Eurogamer page to see the stats and uh, the benchmarks and, uh, you know, the frame rates. There's a lot of cool tools. And also there's a comparison tools on the Eurogamer page, which kind of uh, go hand in hand with the video of like comparisons PS5 Series X. So it's very much like feedback. There's a there's a lot of work that it's all interlinked, and I've always seen it as you know Digital Foundry Eurogamer as pretty much one entity in what in some sense, um, because of that how well that relationship works. But yeah. So let's move on to a question from Dak. So Dak says, "Greetings, DF Skeleton Crew. Represent." Um, I hope you've been throwing wild late-night parties and eating all of the ice cream in the freezer while mom and dad are away. Anywho, with Prime Day concluded, I was wondering what personal pickups you each had, if any, during the sale. So, uh, Tom, did you pick up anything? Um, well, I, I genuinely got a lot of use out of the article uh, put together by... Uh, I think you must have helped with this, uh, Will, and your hands are in the Prime deals on site. But it is uh, the... PS5 remote, a media remote for 18 quid was was quite handy. Uh, not shilling for Microsoft, uh, Amazon, but it's like, <laughs> it's like, okay, I needed that. It's handy because I watch a lot of films. I don't just play games and to have the battery run down on my controller is uh, whenever I need to use it is, is quite handy. But otherwise, I, I just kind of uh, had a browse and, and got um, some 4K Blu-rays. Um, yeah, it's not uh, nothing too gamey. I've kind of got the bases covered there, but yeah, definitely into my films right now. Oh, nice one. Oliver, what about you? Did you pick up anything? Yeah, I got a cheap projector because I have a perfectly oh, cool. white wall oh, really? behind me. <laughs> so I, I wanted... <laughs> it's pretty blue to me, mate. Oh, yeah, I've got some stupid colored lighting <laughs> thing. But, but I thought it might be fun <laughs> to play with the projector and just project something cool, on my wall maybe for yeah. video calls or other things and uh or maybe watch something on it i don't know i could put like a something huge just because i have it so i thought it'd be i thought it'd be fun i got like a 50 percent discount on a cheap projector um mm, that's fun but outside of that i don't i don't really uh do sales too much i just buy stuff when uh when the mood strikes i suppose so yeah, yeah. that's fair enough uh, for my part, I picked up some shampoo and conditioner. 
So <laughs> something entirely tech unrelated, just because it's the sort of thing that I don't normally look at. You know, generally during the rest of the year, there are sales, there are, you know, price drops on things. So if I needed like a new hard drive or an SSD or something, then I probably would have already picked it up by this stage. But it was a, a pretty decent sale in terms of, you know, getting stuff for lowest ever prices uh, on, on some occasions. So hopefully, um, you know, y'all y'all watching, uh, you know, use the articles and um, bought stuff using our affiliate links because it is a, an important source of income for the channel. And if you're annoyed by the Digital Foundry Twitter um, publishing uh, my deals articles, I am really sorry about that. I know not everyone is, is you know, needs that or is into that. Um, but it is, you know, a, a source of revenue for us. So it is something that unfortunately you'll have to have to deal with. I do try and make it as easy as possible for people to opt out of that stuff. Uh, a lot of the deals will have like a hashtag deal at the end of them. So if you mute that uh, word in Twitter, for example, then that wouldn't bother you anymore. Yeah. So it's a good shout. Yeah. So the next question is from Leftist Hominid, uh, a, a longtime uh, listener and question submitter for uh, the DF uh, channel. And they say, streaming is banned in John's household and consoles outside of work are banned in Alex's household. I don't think this is maybe necessarily entirely true. I don't think we have strict bans on these things, but obviously, you know. What gaming related things are banned in everyone else's? Uh, so Oliver, do you have anything that's banned in terms of gaming? Oh, I have lots. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't play uh, free to play. Completely nice. down on free to play. I played Fortnite a couple times. I mean, maybe I might play a competitive shooter if people are playing it that I play with frequently. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, I hate free to play stuff, and and I hate streaming. I hate mobile <laughs> games. No, I mean, I mean they're okay. I mean, you know, I mean, I, there's always exceptions to these things. But in general, I'm not a huge fan of streaming. Not a huge fan of mobile games. Um, except, I mean, there are some good ones, but it seems like the business models that predominate in mobile, which are frequently mm. business models, tend to kind of sour me on the whole enterprise. There's some good stuff on like Apple Arcade, but it's few and far between in my view. So yeah, I, I like uh, home consoles. I like PCs. I like paying 90 bucks for a game up here in Canada, you know, <laughs> that's, that's more, more my speed for sure. Mm. Fair enough. Tom, what do you think? Anything, anything banned? I think MMOs um, mm. for a slew of reasons, which would yeah, I don't need to spell them out. Um, I miss out on Final Fantasy fourteen, I think, because I, I have a suspicion I'd um, potentially, potentially enjoy that game. Because there's, uh, there's so many good, <laughs> good reviews and lots of people love it. It's just that it is a time sink as well that I. I know I have to course correct myself on, you know, that sort of thing. When there's a, a game that I know I'll just be really into, I've got to tell myself, all right, I could spend that time doing this other thing, which I'll get value out of. Um, but Final Fantasy XIV is, uh, yeah, MMOs in general are the things that I kind of push to the side. I, a self-inflicted ban uh, for my own preservation, <laughs> really. <laughs> but I know they're gonna. I know they're great. Yeah. Uh, I think it's pretty similar on my end. I know that there's games, like games as a service kind of games, where if I try and keep up with like the weekly challenges or whatever, that I will just spend all of my time playing them. Yeah. Like um, not the most recent Call of Duty, not Vanguard, but the one before that, I spent so long getting every weapon, like the most shiny it could be. And that was really fun. But there was a lot of hours where I was just thinking, oh, I hate this. Why am I doing this? But I was still doing it. So, you know, I'm trying to be more strict with myself and saying, I need to play more single player games 
and you know games where I'm actually enjoying myself. And if the game isn't ready yet because it's not patched sufficiently, then you know I have a bit in my Steam that says when it's released, play it. Like Baldur's Gate Three, for example, I'm really looking forward to that, but I've kind of put a ban on myself of playing games before they're properly released because I just want to experience them, you know, in full glory when they're ready, and then I don't want to you know spend my time with them otherwise. So I think that's that's about it for me. All right, the final question, and it's an important one. This could have galactic consequences. It's from King Penumbra, who says, if Alex Battaglia from 2026 came through a time warp and told you that the Steam Deck 2 had more capable ray tracing hardware than the PS5 and Series X, but had no way of showing proof, then went back to his own time, would you believe him? Oliver, what do you think? So I actually, I, I thought about this. It's a good question. I, I would... Well, first of all, if Alex is saying it, I wouldn't believe it. Uh, that 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 note aside, um, let's say that I didn't, didn't have a good reason to trust Alex, and maybe Alex has been distrustful in the intervening years. Um, so Alex says this to me. Uh, I actually would. I actually would believe it because if you think about it, um, RDNA three, RDNA four, that could basically be the cycle through twenty twenty four. Um, presuming there's a new GPU launch, new architectures. Uh, what we know of RDNA 3, which is only through leaks and rumors of uh, maybe not great veracity, but we do think, I think, that it will have better RT performance per CU and better RT performance per um, teraflop of compute. We think that there's going to be some optimizations. I mean, I think all the rumors are suggesting, and I think it's pretty obvious that AMD would want to improve in that area as well. Maybe you know, who knows, a, a significant fraction faster, at least on, on a per teraflop basis in terms of RT performance. Let's presume that's the same also for RDNA 4, which, you know, I'm sure will continue to make improvements. Um, and then also consider the fact that it's on a new architecture. In, in general, it should be um, on, a, on a much lower uh, process node size. It should be much denser. I think it's definitely conceivable if you if you were to say think that maybe it could be roughly maybe two times as efficient at generating <laughs> generating rays per teraflop if you if you took that assumption based on a future AMD architecture also assume that it ha it was a much more dense and and much more capable processor in terms of rasterization performance um, and in terms of teraflops I I think it might be might be in that ballpark if AMD continues to go with the sort of like add-on modified shader core approach to to uh, RT. Who knows where they'll be at, at by that point? But I think it definitely could be the case. <laughs> long story yeah. short, four years is a you know a long time in uh, game hardware development, and they are I don't know. You have to still cram even with a an architecture revision to RDNA, RDNA three or like a variation of it. You'd have to have it capable on a very limited uh, CPU in there. And also, the battery life would have to hold up. So they would be still be throttling on uh, the cores, the core clocks, memory clocks. So uh, there is, on the one hand, what's potentially feasible, and then there's what's possible with the battery tech of 2026, which uh, I, I'm not sure I, it will have evolved so radically by then. So I'm not sure, um, but if Alex is convinced, future Alex comes back with a, a big smile on his face, and you know, and he, you know, 
There's joy in his eyes that portable gaming, portable PC gaming has finally come to fruition with ray tracing. I believe him. I believe that, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, think... I, think, I think it would definitely be contingent on a much more efficient RT mm. um, in AMD architectures. That, that would be the thing for me. Like, I don't think they'll be anywhere close in terms of raster performance. Definitely not. But uh, if if AMD really pushes the boat out, if NVIDIA really pushes the boat out, if there's a bit of an arms race in terms of generating really efficient RT, it, it could be possible. I'm, I'm not saying it'll it'll happen, but yeah. if there is a massive drive up in the efficiency of AMD's RT implementation, I think it could 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 happen potentially. Yeah, I mean, it's all down to demand, isn't it? I mean, if there's a lot of games that are coming out over the next four years that are super heavy in RT, and that starts to become a real differentiating factor in the hardware, then you know AMD conceivably could move in that direction to such an extent that it would work. I mean, we have to remember that they're in RDNA 2, it's their first attempt at doing RT you know, on a hardware level. So there are always big, big gains to be found in the second generation. I think we saw a massive uh, shift in efficiency, certainly, between NVIDIA's first and second you know, RT core. So I think we could see something similar. And if four years is enough to get two generations in there, I think, yeah, this, this Alex from the future might, might have a point. Okay, so I think that just about does it. That is week 28 wrapped up. That is episode 70 of DF Direct wrapped up. Uh, thank you so much to Oliver and to Tom for joining me on this exciting episode of The Skeleton Crew Does DF Direct. It was wonderful to have you all watching and listening at home. And yeah, as always, you need to click bells. You need to subscribe. You need to send us lots of money in unmarked envelopes. I don't, I don't know how these outros do. Uh, Tom, can you do the outro? If you, yeah, I mean, absolutely. If you want to uh, see more of this thing, you can check out our Patreon. Uh, feel free to like and subscribe on the YouTube channels. Um, yeah, all that just helps. Um, you know, encourage us to make the kind of content you want to see because, uh, yeah, the more you like one thing, the more we'll know. Um, yeah, I think that kind of wraps it up. Um, yeah, yeah, thanks again for hosting, Will. Uh, you did a fantastic yeah. job. <laughs> no, no worries. That was uh, uh, an interesting moment for me. But I think everything is not on fire, so we did a good job. Yeah, so, cheers, just guys. checking. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, bye.